We've been reading through the New Testament, and reading through Acts, it's this wonderful narrative where you get a lot of good information about the beginnings of the church, you get a lot of good theology, a lot of details that really expose you to how to be saved, how to, how to give your life to Christ, how to follow the way of Jesus. And you read through and you get these sermons, you get all kinds of wonderful, neat things, and learn so many things about the way that God wants us to go. And then you get to Acts chapter 27, and you re- for me, I read through it, and it's like after I got through it, I was like, what have I read? <laughs> it's, a, it's an interesting and different sort of chapter, and it's an exciting place, and I wouldn't have uh, come and preached from this, save for the fact that Jerry and I talked, and Jerry said, you know, this is an exciting chapter, and so Jerry has done some sailing, and I speak of um, our our brother Jerry Clark, who's not with us today, so um, I don't know if that is, you know, he's not here to critique me on this one, so we'll we'll see if he listens to it later, and we'll see if he he thinks I messed up the whole narrative of this, uh, this shipping and sailing information that is here. But he's the one who said, you know, this would be an, he said this would be an exciting message. It would be a good one for children to hear and a good one for us to hear. It's an exciting, interesting passage. And I was, I was just like, well, I, you know, we went through it and talked and talked. And, and then during the week, I just continued to learn and look at these words and these verses. And it really... Is interesting, and this this passage of scripture that we look at today in Acts chapter twenty seven, I think, because I, I still ask the question, even even after I get ready for this sermon, I still kind of have a little bit of the question. Well, why why is it there, and what is it that we're supposed to learn? And I, I think, that, and there's probably a lot of reasons in here, but I think the main thing that I come away with is found in Acts chapter 27, verse number 1. And it's, it's a little piece of information that as you go through here, and you're, just, you're reading through and plowing through Acts, just reading through it just like we've been doing. We're going to read through the New Testament and such and such a time, and Acts is a part of that. So we're going to read through it. But it's a piece of information you might have missed. Because I can ask you, several of you have read this, and I can ask you, well, who, what's this shipwreck about? Um, you know, the, the chapter for 27 is Paul is sent to Rome, and then halfway through it, my Bible has the, the, the title shipwreck. You know, the, the translators have put this stuff in here. Well, who is this about? Who's involved here? And most all of us would say Paul, right? This is about Paul getting transferred to Rome. He's been... Um, He's been locked up and imprisoned in Jerusalem just like he was, like was uh, opposed. And he's, he's a couple of years waiting for any kind of justice. The Jews want to kill him. And finally some different um, officials, uh, one leaves office, another one comes in and finally decides to do something with Paul. So it's been like a couple of years of just nothing happening. And then all of a sudden Paul appears um, before a couple more people and before a king, King Agrippa of the Jews. But in the meantime, he has appealed to Caesar. And so he's going to go to Rome because he says, I'm innocent. I appeal to Caesar. The Jews wanted to kill him, but he says, I appeal to Caesar. So he's going to go to Rome just as God had told him. 
It had been revealed to him long ago that he was going to go to Rome. So he's going to go to Rome. And that's when we get to Acts chapter 27. Um, and it, it, it's going to shift here. And it's all the whole story is centered on Paul, him going to Rome. And in chapter 27, verse number 1, it says, When it was decided that we should sail for Italy, we proceeded to deliver Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion, um, they proceeded to deliver Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the um, Augustan cohort named Julius. So in this very verse, you already start getting some of these details that just, number one, kind of fix, fixate it in a specific place in time. Details that just alert you to the fact that this is all true. Just like all the rest of the Bible, it, it's true. And here are the you know, details are provided that fit with the the narrative of all of Scripture and the time frame that it was written in. But the word, if you look on your outline, which you only have to look there once, and then the rest is going to be blank, but it says there's only one blank there. And what's the, what do you fill in the blank with there? What's the word we're looking for? What is it? The outline's there. There's a blank. What's the word we're looking for? Anybody got it? Figure it out? I hope I printed it right. <laughs> we. 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 And as you... It, it, we. The guy who writes the book is a part of the story. And this is accredited to... Um, you know, So the Gospel of Luke is connected with Acts. The author has always been, and there's, there are uh, details in Scripture that point to this, but Luke, the beloved physician, um, as is referenced, I think, in 1 Timothy. Um, Luke, the beloved physician. Luke, the author, he shows up during Acts, and there's a, a few different places you can look back through there. When, if you're careful and you're reading through the narrative of Paul's missionary journeys, he first show up, shows up in, I think it's Troas, right before, when Paul has received the Macedonian vision to go over and, you know, come to Macedonia, we need your help, you know. And so um, he goes, I think it's Troas, before he crosses the sea and goes towards Ephesus and Philippi. Um, and Luke, in that, in that passage of Scripture, it says, we. That's where Luke first shows up in Scripture, and he's writing about himself, and you don't even know it except for the fact that it's referred to in the first person plural, we. Luke is there. And now as I get to chapter 27, it kind of, it takes a whole new meaning. And I think what we're going to see here is details are given, and it's God working through his, you know, the Holy Spirit is the author of every word in here, but he does it through people and that, that, the, the personality and the experiences of those people. The, the Holy Spirit doesn't just overwrite that, but works with that. And Luke has experienced this. And I think this has made, just reading through here, I think this has made such an impact on his life. And I'll highlight at the end of the scripture reading that we had in verse number 20. It was at the end of the scripture reading. This is after the ship is being tossed around and it's out in the, it's kind of like they're, 
they're, well, they're, they're just in the middle of the sea being dragged towards the coast of Africa where they anticipate shipwrecking way out in the middle of, on a sandbar in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the ocean. And it says, since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small storm was assailing us, from then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. And you can read into that that, well, maybe the sailors, the sailors play such an important part of this and the captain um, or the owner or whatever it might have been and the you know, just those folks who are on the boat, maybe the ones that are kind of in charge and, or the soldiers, maybe they're losing hope. But in my mind, I think we hear that even Luke, in the midst of this story, and that's why he's going into such detail, he is saying this storm is so bad that he thinks he's going to die. So... You know, and it's one of those spots where I'd say maybe, maybe not, but the details of Acts 27, I think they're there because it drags us into this story. And if we slow down and just look at it and consider what's going on, I think we hear, we start catching a glimpse of what Luke is experiencing. Don't, don't just go through it quickly and say, oh, it was a bad storm. They all think they're about to die. And Paul steps up and says, no, you're not going to die. And so God ends up saving them. Well, that's, that's it, isn't it? But you slow down and you look at these details. And we start to think, man, life. So many things in this story remind us of our lives. And remind us of how fragile life can be and remind us of how difficult life can be and sometimes we're tossed about in the storms of life and we don't know where we're going to end up we don't know what the end ha- you know how close the end of life it's it could be at hand or perhaps what's going to happen from here what's and we're just caught in the storms of life and the current and the wind and it can be tough And I think Luke was at that point during this story. But God pulled him through it. And God pulled them all through it. So let's read Acts chapter 27, verse number 1 again. When it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they proceeded to deliver Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. So Julius is an important part of here. He's... um, he's the the centurion, so he's over centurion century. That's one hundred. So he's the he's the captain of a hundred soldiers, and actually some of the some of them would have been just groups of eighty, is what one of the things that I read. But it's a large number of soldiers. We don't know if necessarily they were all eighty soldiers or hundred soldiers are with him. But this is an important guy, and and Paul is in his care. Verse two, and in embarking in an aid. Um, Adramitian ship, which was about to sail to the regions along the coast of Asia, we put out to the sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica. So it's not just Paul. It's we were introduced to another person, and here it's just the details and even the names. It it just starts pulling you into this. 
Luke is saying this is an important important event. It's, and she says, by saying we, it's not only himself, but they are joined by another believer, it seems, Aristarchus. Of, he's from Thessalonica. So here is another believer that is with them. Um, verse number three. And, and isn't it great? You know, here's Paul, he's captive, but he's got two friends that are going to go through this journey with them. And, you know, they didn't have to do this. But it's like Paul always needed somebody. And don't we always need somebody to go through life with? Isn't there a reason why God made the church? We need each other, and we need to be there for each other. Verse 3. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul with consideration and allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. So here I want to I want to flash to um, flash to our our slide up here, and I don't know if you're going to be able to to see all this or not. But the story begins down here. Here's uh, here's Jerusalem. Paul has been um, uh, he's been in the custody of uh, the Romans, so he's actually. Uh, been in, I, I believe, in Caesarea for quite a while, and that's where he puts in. He gets. They get in a boat first, and they go up, and probably just a day's journey, and they end up in Sidon. Now, when they're in Sidon, uh, the boat docks, and this centurion, uh, you know, how well does he know Paul? What's been said about Paul? But his he allows his prisoner to go into town. And uh, to get relief, your scripture might say. Paul needed some relief, and one of the commentators said it's a, it's a medical term. So the New American Standard is probably brings us a little bit closer to um, the more accurate, the more accurate thought is to receive care. Paul, been in custody all this time, seems to have been treated pretty well, but at the same time, maybe not. He needs some care. So he's, he goes into town, and they probably know some believers in town. And there's the church is everywhere, and Paul has some friends there. So Luke, the beloved physician, Luke's already, you know, he's the physician. He takes Paul, who needs some care, and he takes him into town. They give him some care and find what they need. So some wonder, you know, it just speaks wonderfully of how God's working everything out, and God is taking care of him. And we're reminded that God takes care of us, doesn't he? Verse number four. So going on from Sidon, right down here, we're getting ready to make this leg of the journey. And it's going to be on a smaller boat. And they're going to go up along the Mediterranean, uh, the, the coast of uh, the Palestinian area here. And they're going to head, they're trying to get over here to Italy. All right, so they're going to go up and follow the coast along here. And here's this, the island of Cyprus that's about to be mentioned. So, verse 4. From there we put out to sea and sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. When, you know, and here's the first indication that this, this journey is not going to go well. The winds were contrary. So apparently that means they want to hug, they, they stay along Cyprus a little bit closer than they would anticipate. And probably that's why they bring this line down because they're hugging Cyprus as long as they can, because the winds were probably 
pushing them the direction they don't want to go. And so they're going to stay close to Cyprus, get as far as they can this way. And then they're going to jump up here and get along the coast of Asia, Asia Minor. Verse, uh, verse number five. When we sailed through the sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. So here is Lycia. You see that name there. And here's the little city of Myra down here. Now something changes in Myra. Okay. And they made it there, though. They made it to Myra. We have no indication necessarily of how long this has taken, but we're going to continue. In verse number 6, then it says, There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy. Um, and he put us aboard it. So here in, in, um, in Myra... They could have, you know, from here they could have started, you know, a, a trek on the, on the land. They could have started taking some roads and got across here and maybe just um, gotten a boat across the Aegean Sea and, and then, you know, a boat across here. I don't know what their track could. They could have gone with the land, but the fastest way is going to be by boat. So they find this Alexandrian ship. And as it, as it says here, and this is, since it's referred to as an Alexandrian ship, this is what is, was taking place. It says, change to a grain ship sailing to Italy. That's what that little box there in Myra. Um, so they change to a grain ship. Now, the grain ship, it's Alexandrian. Here is this, this map, list Alexandria down here, Alexandria of Egypt. So this is where the grain is produced. All this grain is being produced down here in Egypt. And the ones who are in control of the world, they have set up a, a fleet of ships to make sure the grain gets from Egypt up to them in Italy. And now this is, this is going to come into play. Um, an Alexandrian ship, it leaves Alexandria and ends up in Myra, and then it's going to head to Italy. Well, a couple of things here. They might be... Uh, they might be delivering and dropping off some grain in uh, Asia Minor here. And that might be why they go up here. Because, you, add, you know, it's, well, why don't, from Alexandria, why don't they just sail this way and then straight up here? That'd be the, that'd be the quicker route, right? But instead, they go from Alexandria straight north, and then they're going to cut across. That's what the trade route was. And part of the reason is because all the way down here on this coast, um, you see Sardis Major, and I can't even read it. I think there's a Sardis Minor. There it is right here. All along this coast, and I don't know if it's connected with the, the sands from uh, the deserts. It might be, but along there, there are these um, uh, sandbars. The water gets very, very, and, and there are a lot of, apparently, seaweed grows up in those regions, and the boats can't even get through there. And so they had to watch out. They could not, if they, if they ended up down here, they could get stranded out in the middle of nowhere. A boat basically run aground in the middle, well, so to speak, 50, 50 miles or something from the ocean. Or as this says, zero, 300 miles, they could have been, you know, a couple hundred miles out here. I don't know exactly what the extent of those sandbars were. But they would avoid sailing down here in this area. So... The ships would leave Alexandria, head up north, and then cut across, heading towards Italy. That brings us, and by the way, the, I do have, whoops, this is the Alexandrian ship. 
We're going to note from actually chapter 27, uh, verse number 37, it notes that there are 276 people. Well, the scripture says 276 souls on board this grain boat. The main, the main haul, the main cargo is it's the grain from Egypt. But also then people have gotten on board in Myra, 276 of them. So a lot of them are going to be crew, some of them, I should say. Some of them are going to be prisoners, some of them soldiers, and probably some other folks find, wanting to find their way to Egypt. And this is what the boat would look like. Um, here we see, the, um, and I, I don't know what all it would have looked like for sure, but you can kind of see, I, I imagine that these are supposed to be kind of like people down here on the, on the deck of the ship. It's a large ship, a large sail that, that on the front of the boat. This is the bow of the boat that's grabbing the wind and pulling it forward. Of course, they already have the waves going pretty strong in this picture. So they have probably taken down a big square sail that would be on the mast, which is the big pole, uh, the big cedar post going up in the middle of the ship. Is the, uh, it's the mast. The big uh, sail would have gone across there, and they don't have that up because the wind has already started blowing too hard for the picture, I guess. And they are... You know, that's what the boat would have looked like. You know, very simple drawing there, but um, it was like one of the best that I think I could find that depicted what I think was actually from that time. So, verse 6, they get the Alexandrian ship, ship and they get on board. Verse number 7. And I, would, I really would. I would love to have a two-week on this, two weeks. Um, so I really don't know how far I'm going to get with this. But we're following along with the story, and we're remind, remember, we're talking about we, this is we, this is Luke, um, and the other, the man, um, Aristarchus, and Paul, and Julius, the centurion, and not only them, but total of 276 people now that we're talking about. Verse 7, when we had sailed slowly for a good many days... So they're sailing slowly. The wind's not good. And probably, it's probably what is happening here, um, probably from Myra, they're going slowly uh, still along the shore, and probably they're tacking back and forth. Tacking is a sailing term. You can't go directly into the wind, so you've got to go aside and then to the side and then to the side. And the big ship, this big monster ship, is doing that, tacking into the wind along the shore. Um, uh, still in verse number 7, the sailing slowly for a good many days and with difficulty had arrived off Nidus. Since the wind did not permit us to go further, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Sal, um, Salmon, Salmone. I don't know how to say that. They left Myra. Tacking the difficulty, many days, should have been a day or two journey, but it's many days, and they finally get up to Nidus, and the, only, the one thing I don't, I don't like this map is because Nidus is actually pinpointed there, and they put the, it makes it look like it stops there, doesn't it? Like they take a stop there, but from the scripture you know they don't, they are off Nidus, and the wind's too strong, they can't finish it, they can't get there, they give up. The wind is pushing them away from the shore, and so they end up just going with the wind, and they head down towards Crete. So all they wanted, they wanted to get to Nidus, and they can't do it, and so they head down. Their journey is already 
off course, off from where they want to be. The storm is already affecting them. One storm, I should say. And they can't get where they want to go. They can't take the course that they thought they could take. So things are going bad already. They come down towards Salmone. Verse 8, and with difficulty sailing past it. It doesn't just say they sailed past it. But here they are with difficulty. They're probably trying to avoid the rocks along the shore. They're trying to stay out. But the, the, the wind, or already you get the picture that they're dry, being driven into a dangerous territory. And they finally, with great difficulty, they get past it and come around to the far side, the south side of the island. So, and with great, verse 8, and with great difficulty sailing past it, we came to a place called Fair Havens. <laughs> Oh, so fitting of a name, isn't it? They get to Fair Havens, and here they bring the ship all the way around. And uh, you can't get a good picture of Crete, but here it's just like a little corner of the island before it curls around to that upper part. So they're in, they're in Fair Haven, a good place, a very nice place, a very fair place, and a place where they have haven, where they have shelter from the storm, where they are safe. And there was near to the city of Lasia. Verse number 9. When considerable time. Now note that. Here they are in this place. When considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous. Since even the fast was already over, Paul began to admonish them. Okay, the fast was already over. A reference to the day of atonement that takes place late in the fall. So here in... Um, Fair to say this time of year, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Does anybody know? Look it up on your, it's, I didn't even think to look it up. It's this time of the year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And on that day, they're called to humble themselves. The Jews humble themselves, so they fast that day. So that's why it is referred to as the fast. The scripture here in Acts 27 refers to the fast, and most people see that as referring to Yom Kippur. And it puts a date on this timeline. And so they are in this time of the year, November, October, November. And it's like this is, this is a known time to be dangerous to be sailing out here in this part of the sea. Don't go. Luke's saying, you know, everybody knows this. You don't go into the Mediterranean Ocean, into the sea during this time of year. And Paul knows it. Paul starts to admonish them. And he says, don't, don't go. It's dangerous. Let's stay here. Verse number, nine, or verse number 10, Paul speaking, and said to them, Men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss. Not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. Our lives will be in danger. The ship will be in danger. Let's be careful what we do. And they've been here in the Fair Haven for a few weeks, probably waiting for the storm to pass so they can decide what to do. Verse 11. But this, and, and by the way, we don't, it, it doesn't, scripture doesn't indicate that Paul know that just because it was general knowledge or did God reveal it to him? We don't know. I don't, but he knew and we're going to be, we're going to see he was proved right and they should have listened. 
Verse 11. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain, possibly the Possibly the captain also owned the ship, so either way you want to look at that. But the pilot and captain of the ship, then by what was being said by Paul. The centurion seems to be, he's the big guy on board. Whatever he is going to say is going to go. Of course, he's got the, uh, the military might, the backing of Rome, and the sword at his side that's going to say, uh, yes, you'll do what I say. And so the centurion, Julius, Julius makes a decision. Instead of listening to Paul... I'm going to go with the shipping guys and listen to them. Verse number 12. Because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, the majority reached a decision to put out to sea from there. If somehow they might reach Phoenix or Phoenicia, a harbor of Crete facing southwest and northwest and spend the winter there. Now look, we're in Fairhaven. And they're saying, all we have to do is go to Phoenix. One, one day's journey. They could make that 24 hours or less. That's how close it is, and it's going to be a better harbor. Now, it's interesting, you know, is it going to be a safer harbor? Maybe. The other thing to consider is, you know, these, they might have been making this decision. I, from, what, from what I read, the commentator said that this probably, Fairhavens would have been, as the name implies, a haven, a safe place for the ship. But maybe what wasn't suitable was the town of La Silla wasn't really a town. It was just a little village, and it wouldn't be very accommodating to a group of 276 people. So they're really just trying to get up to Phoenix, a bigger city, to where it could be more accommodating to a lot of people, especially some sailors who don't like to sit around and be still and, and play cards all the time. You know, they, they don't pass their time away so well. So they need something to do. They need some people to see. Maybe they're just trying to get up to Phoenix because they don't want to be in Fairhaven. So I, you know, and I don't know. That's possible. But maybe the safer harbor, the, it, who knows what it is. But they decide to leave. They want to spend the winter, and it's only a day's journey. You know, and in this life, we play these, you know, well, I, could, I think I can do this, and if I do, it'll be so much better. And if it works out, it'll be so much better. And I'm just, I'm just going to give it my all. I'm going to try or, or pray that it works out and stuff. And, man, sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes we learn we're not the ones in control. So they set out because the majority, I don't know how many people got a vote, but the majority of the people who voted said, let's head to Phoenix. I can do another day on the boat. Verse 13, when a moderate south wind came up, so the wind is from the south, pushing them along. And I love this picture here. It shows this little line. It starts at, You see how it starts heading up towards Phoenix. The moderate south wind came up, supposing they had attained their purpose. They weighed anchor and began sailing along Crete, close in shore. They're going to follow the shoreline, stay close. The wind is pushing them in the right direction. We're going to make it to Phoenix. Not Phoenix, Arizona. There's no oceanfront property in Arizona. Um, But anyhow, verse 14. But before very long, there rushed down from the land a violent wind called, the New American Standard has, Eurokilo. 
and uh, lots of different winds that affect the area. But the one thing we know for sure is that this is no longer the south wind pushing them up towards Phoenix. It is a wind from the northeast, and it pushes them, as we see here, past the island of Claudia, or Clauda, and they are heading down. And notice the direction that it, we don't know what this line was, but initially they're leaving the, the island of Crete and getting pushed down towards these shores that we mentioned a little while ago that you don't want to be caught near. So they're on their way to disaster. Verse 15, And the when the ship was caught in it, and we could not face the wind, we gave way to it. Oh, they tried. They tried, just, oh, Fairhaven, it's within reach. We could get there. We'll have safety. We'll have a place to get off the boat and go into town. But no, they could not reach it. They, the wind took them away. We gave way to it, let ourselves be driven along. Boy, sometimes life's like that. It just drives you along, doesn't it? And you're like, I can't do anything. You know, the sailors can't do anything at this point. Can you imagine the people that are sitting down in the grain in the bottom of the boat, and they're like, they're completely helpless. They can't even um, steer, do anything. None of them can. Verse 17. Um, well, verse 16 says, Running under the shelter of a small island called Clauda, we were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. And here's one of those spots where you're like, why, why so many details? But it just puts you into the picture. The, the little, what we would have called a dinghy. Well, you got the big ship behind you. The, the big ship, you got the little boat that a few men could get in and go back and forth to shore. It's the dinghy that would have been pulled along behind it. Well, they want to get that thing in so it doesn't, so it doesn't get crushed. And also probably so it doesn't beat a bent against the boat itself and uh, crush the boat. Or it gets dragged underwater and is a weight to the boat and could pull the, the ship apart or it's just going to get lost. So it's just more desperation. We've got to get the dinghy in. We've got to get the little boat on board. And they, they do that. So these, they're doing everything they can. Verse 17, after they had hoisted it up, they used supporting cables in, the undergirding, in undergirding the ship. And fearing that they might run aground on the shallows of Sardis, Sirtis, whatever it is, the, the shallows, the, the, um, the sandy areas, they let down the sea anchor and in this way let themselves be driven along. Throwing out that anchor, they're just hoping that it's going to slow them down. It's just a drag for the ship to try and keep them from going farther down here. They want to slow the ship down. They, um, they take, you know, the ships, it's being beat about so much that they have to take ropes and undergirded it's like putting a belt on a boat to keep it together so they somehow let the this huge rope go underneath the rope and they pull it together to hold the ship together and they probably do that in a couple different areas on the boat this is desperation everything is about to end for them and they're doing what they can just to hold the boat together they certainly can't control it and steer it verse number um verse number 18 the next day as we were being Violently storm-tossed, they began to jettison the cargo. Last-ditch effort. Everything goes. They throw everything off, and they probably keep a lot of the grain in the bottom because they want weight in the bottom of the boat to keep it more steady so the winds and waves don't toss it over. But they're throwing everything off. And on the third day, they're only a third day in it, into it from leaving Fairhaven, they're three days into this. Who knows how far they've already gone. 
Three days into it, they threw the ship's tackle, the ship's gear, everything that they need gets thrown overboard with their own hands. Verse 20, since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small storm was assailing us, from then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually lost. Boy, and sometimes life gets like that. And, you know, Luke was a friend of Paul. They sure talked about it doesn't, you know, Paul, we picture him inside the, of prisons, you know, in great distress, and it's midnight, and he's singing, you know, he's been beaten and abused, and he's singing songs in prison. Maybe he's singing, maybe Paul's just lighthearted, and not lighthearted, but maybe he's got courage. Maybe some of that spills over to Luke, but maybe Luke is being more distressed by what he sees with all of the people who know what's going on, the sailors, and they have all lost hope. Everybody's giving up hope. Verse 21, when they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in the midst and said, Men, you ought to have followed my advice and not set sail uh, from Crete, or whatever he says, and, and incurred this damage and loss. <laughs> you know, Paul, good words to start with, you know, way to encourage them. But it's his way of saying, all right, you didn't listen before, but you better listen now. And he's got news of hope. He says in verse 22, Yet now I urge you to keep up your courage. Be of good cheer is literally what he says there. Be of good cheer. You know, that's, that's something else. Everybody's saying we're going to die. I don't know how soon the boat's going to fall apart. We're out here in the middle of the ocean. Uh, you know, and it doesn't even talk about seasickness. I was, I'm going long now, but Lake Erie was my time of seasickness in this little boat with waves, you know, only three feet high, and I was getting sick. I can imagine what they were like. It ends up being 14 days in this boat, tossed around. Thinking there are 14 days of, you know, maybe you've had a moment where you, you've been in a car spinning or something and you think, I'm going to die. In that instant, you're just like, your life flashes before you and you think, I'm going to die. I will not survive this. I may not survive. I, could, I may have just made a decision that could cost me my life. You ever, I'd say most of us have been there at some point. And they're spending 14 days, you know, we, we deal with it in an instant and then the car stops. Or, I, you know, for me it was I was figuring out where I actually was in an airplane all by myself, you know. But I thought I could, I might have just killed myself because I made a dumb mistake and didn't really, you know. But it was just a moment in a car spinning around down the freeway and, and then it stops and I'm all right, <laughs> It worked out or, you know, whatever it might be. You get to the hospital and they say, we're going to take care of you. And all right, I made it. But, you know, they got 14 days of dealing with, we're going to die. And Paul says, keep your courage. And the reason why is because 
22, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. <laughs> you know, and another, another thing, you know, okay, you just said we're not going to die, but the ship is going to die. How can, we, how can the ship die and we not go down with it? That doesn't make too much sense, but Paul says that's what's going to happen. For this very night, verse 23, an angel of God, whom I be, to whom I belong, and whom I serve stood before me saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and before, and behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage. Take heart. Be of good cheer. Men, for I believe that, for I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on a certain island. And 14 days later, it happened. In that being tossed about in that ship, 14 days, thinking they were going to die, there was this one guy saying, trust God. God told me, God showed me the way. I belong to him, I serve him, I trust him, and you can trust me too, you better listen. And today God's still like that in our lives. Some days... Some weeks, some months, some years, some lifetimes are like that. But God's the one who'll see us through. Trust Him. Turn to God. Serve Him. Don't go anywhere else. And don't don't get distracted by calm waters because... um, You know, this is really all of life. It's a test and it's like this. But turn to God. Where the waters seem calm or whether they seem rough, turn to God. Give your life to Him. So, friends, you can figure out what you need to do with this lesson. Figure out what what you need to take away. Figure out how Luke's life His experience has affected yours, and if you haven't read the ending, you need to keep reading because God keeps on working, and I invite you to come to Him. If there's anybody that's here today in the audience, you need the prayers of the church because you're going through something like this, or if you need the prayers of the church because you want to know the one true God, you want to give your life to Him and serve Him, we invite you to come today as we stand together and sing.